Brother Joe, I don't have a channel number on the front of this. Do you know what channel this is? We may have bumped. May have bumped a button when we moved it. That's what I'm thinking. All right. Uh, if you would, <laughs> no surprise that uh, we're having electrical technical difficulties. Uh, I am not shocked by that at all. If you would grab your Bibles, James chapter 4. James chapter 4. I'll stand stationary for the moment. All right. All right, James chapter 4, verse number 1, uh, we read last week, From whence come wars and fightings among you, come they not hence, even of your lusts, that war in your members? Ye lust and have not, ye kill and desire to have, and cannot obtain, you fight and war, yet ye have not, because ye ask not. Ye ask and receive not, because ye ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your lusts. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Do you think that the scripture saith in vain that the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? But he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he shall lift you up. Speak not evil one of another, brethren. He that speaketh evil of his brother and judgeth his brother speaketh evil of the law and judgeth the law. But if thou judge the law, thou art not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy, who art thou that judgest another? Uh, and so ultimately here uh, you have what is going on. Uh, James is dealing with the, ultimately with the idea of pride humil versus humility. Uh, he's dealing with the idea that you and I are in trouble when we uh, go ahead and lust and try to obtain and want certain things that we can't get, and so we go after it, and in our pride and in our arrogancy, we try to gain those things, and he reminds us in verse number six that God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble, and God oftentimes must resist, sorry brother Joe, uh, he must resist us because of our pride. And we got talking about pride in Proverbs chapter 13 and verse number 10. Last week we talked about how only by pride cometh contention. Well, I'm not proud. Well, if there's contention, there's automatically pride. That's the only way that it works. And oftentimes we contend. We contend with our spouse. We contend with our children. We contend with our parents. We contend with our friends. We contend with uh, all of our enemies. Uh, we contend with our boss. We contend with the lost world. We contend ultimately with God Almighty. We contend. You say, well, what's the problem? The problem's pride. You say, well, they're proud. Can't do that when it's against God, because we know He's not. And so it's the question of, well, what do I do with pride? Well, uh, to deal with pride, we started with the source of pride, and that's what this side of the board is. This side of the board is all about where does pride originate from, and ultimately, I can't cover all of this again. If you want to, you can listen to last week's if you missed it, uh, but ultimately, pride starts with Satan himself. Lucifer was his name uh, before his fall, and of course, Lucifer means light bearer. That's who he is. Uh, and that's, that's what his name indicates. Uh, ultimately, he is, in Ezekiel chapter 28, he is the anointed cherub that covereth, and I have set thee so. Uh, his position geographically was above the throne. That's there on that far side there. Uh, and it's geographically, it's, it's above the throne of God. Uh, he was uh, described as this, the anointed cherub. He is set apart, sanctified, and set up and anointed. Ultimately, Christ means the anointed one. That's why he becomes the Antichrist. That's who he is. Uh, he is against the true Christ. And uh, his description of Lucifer before the fall is, number one, he was full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. 
And so this created being is full of wisdom and it's perfect in beauty. Uh, and it's covered in precious stones. Lucifer was covered in nine stones. They're listed there on the board. Uh, and he also is covered with gold. And he is built with pipes and tabrets. That's his design. He's absolutely gorgeous. Uh, Lucifer, I mentioned it before, the devil's not a dude in a red suit with little pointy ears and little horns and a pitchfork. That's not the devil. The devil was perfect in the day that he was created. Thou wast perfect in all thy ways until a test shows up for Lucifer. And when Lucifer gets tested, the thing that gets tested is the mind, heart, and will. That is what you and I all are tested on. That is what every piece of God's creation must be tested upon. The test comes to Lucifer, and Lucifer ultimately fails. He, of course, goes into his diatribe of his five I wills. I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation of the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. And in his pride and in his arrogancy, he steals and tries to take all of God's glory and all of his greatness and all of his power and all of his status. He wants to remove God from his heavenly throne and overthrow him in sheer rebellion. But the issue that ultimately started was not an external issue of outward rebellion. It was an internal answer of pride. It was the feeling on the heart that made him change his mind. Pride comes up before you'll ever rebel. Pride comes up inside before you ever go to the external rebellion, contention, fighting, all that stuff. You already have it on the inside before it ever shows up on the outside. Pride is the issue of the heart. Many people would like to deny it. They would like to go ahead and try to walk away from it. But the truth is that according to Job chapter 41 and verse 34, that this, this man right here, this, this fallen cherub, is king over all the children of pride. Now, that is quite a statement. Now, I'm, we're going to get back to this statement in a moment, but recognize this. We love Bible believers, right? We're Bible believers. And when the Bible says all, talking about salvation, you and I hammer away, right? All means all, and that's all all ever means. Well, he's king over all the children of pride. Now think about that just for a moment. He is king over all the children of pride. And so tonight I'm going to continue part two on ultimately the sin of pride. The reality of our situation, this is the source of pride, but the reality of the situation is that you and I are the ones who are in play right now to decide whether or not God gets glory or this fallen cherub does. And it is all based upon our own choices. And one of the largest pieces of the puzzle is pride. We don't like to think about it. You don't hear too many messages on pride. They're rare. And why is that? Because most of us are proud. We don't like talking about that. We're proud. And the situation truly is that you and I are, are very prideful. You know, some people, they go, well, no, I'm, I'm just really shy. No, you don't want to be embarrassed because you're too proud to be embarrassed. How about that? That's a form of pride. That's, that's part of it. Well, I don't like the spotlight. Okay, but if God asked you to, why wouldn't you do it? Because you're proud. There's, well, you know, 
And sometimes we get the idea, and i got to get to this later, but we get the idea that humility is done outwardly as a show. And we act humble. But the truth is, if you're acting humble, you aren't actually humble. It's an act. Humility is not done by the externals and the hope that everybody notices. And as soon as you realize that you're humble and you go, hey, look at me, I'm humbly serving the Mass, you no longer are humble. You lost it. You missed it. And I'll get to humility here shortly because we know that's the answer to pride. We just don't like it very much. And so let's have a word of prayer. And Lord willing, I will finish this tonight. Um, While I'm praying, can I get a couple guys to spin this around so I get the backside? If if I could just get a couple guys. I'll move over so you got plenty of room to to do that. Thank you. Father, we do thank you for the night, and I thank you for the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank you for what a wonderful Savior is Jesus, my Jesus. Lord, what a wonder it is to have a Savior. What a wonder it is to be able to even conceive that that we could even give glory, honor, and power to the God of the universe because of how wonderful you are to us. Father, because of your mercies and your grace upon us, Father, I do pray that you would give me wisdom as I speak tonight. I know this is a deep subject, although, Father, it seems so simple at times, but Lord, it's sometimes very hard to put together. And so, Father, I pray you would give me the right words to say, the right time to say it. Help me, Lord, to be just submitted to what you want done tonight, that Jesus Christ would be honored and glorified, that the Holy Spirit of God would have free course, and that the Father would be praised because of how wonderful he is to us. Lord, once again, we do pray that you get all the praise, the honor, and the glory this night in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, gentlemen. Um, you'll notice the, the struggle we have. You get back to Genesis chapter 3 and uh, verses 1 to 6. Very familiar to all of us, right? It's the first time we find the serpent, Lucifer, as his fallen state there in Genesis chapter 3. He shows up as the serpent. And the serpent is more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he shows up to Eve, right? And we have no idea how many times he's shown up in the garden. We have no, many, no idea how many times he's talked to Eve. We don't know if he's ever talked to Adam. You know, you got all that stuff. We have no idea. We do know this. He does show up. And he does talk to Eve. And he convinces Eve. He gets her to see some things that she ordinarily wouldn't have seen uh, because he gets talking to her and he shows her something. And in ultimately, Eve's choice is a choice of pride. So why do you say that? Because it's all self-serving. When she saw that the tree was good for food, pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat. Her sin ultimately was, I am going to exchange the commandment that I know, that I'm not supposed to eat that. I'm going to exchange that, whether you can you know, go ahead and try to blame Adam entirely. I know she was deceived. I know Adam sins willfully. I know all that stuff, right? But the truth is, she still knew she wasn't supposed to. She didn't get all the particulars, but she wasn't supposed to, and she knew that much, but she still did it. Why? Because you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. What can I gain out of this? It was an issue of pride. It starts in Genesis chapter 3. You know what happened in Genesis 3 is the failure of mankind to do what? To not be proud. Mind, heart, will. Another choice. Same test as Lucifer had. Now it's brought down to mankind. Mind, heart, will is is tested. And mankind chooses to go against and rebel against God ultimately. See, it started in the heart. She started pondering these things and thinking on these things. And she's thinking, boy, that does look good. And boy, I mean, you know, I I could be wise. I mean, the inward rebellion started as pride. And the outward rebellion was to take it and eat it. Pride. You know, the devil, he doesn't really contend much with the idea of the lost world. Uh, Someone without Jesus Christ as their Savior, He already has them. (laughs) They're a child of the devil, a child of wrath, a child of disobedience. That's who they are. 
He doesn't really have to contend with them. You know what they've done? He just wants to keep them in their pride and arrogancy that they don't need God. He just wants to keep them there. The Christian, you and I, you know what's happened to us is you and I have gone ahead and we've recognized that we were a sinner in need of a Savior. So what did we do? Well, we humbled ourselves. We humbled ourselves. When we humble ourselves, we recognize I am a sinner and I cannot, I cannot get into heaven without the mercy and the grace of a holy God. And so we call upon Jesus Christ to save us and He saves us to the uttermost and it's a wonderful transaction. And in doing so, in doing so, you and I are now placed on the opposite side from the devil. This fallen cherub, Lucifer, who is now Satan, the devil, our enemy, is against us. Now, interestingly enough, you say, well, why is he so against the church? He's got plenty of people to follow him. Right? The Lord even lets you know, broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and narrow is the way that leadeth unto life. we got many people that go in that broad way, and we got few people that find that narrow way. Well, why can't he be content? Because he doesn't want just a few. He's so proud he doesn't want enough. It's never enough. For Lucifer, it's never enough. He wants another. Well, yeah, but he can't take me. Yeah, but he contends with you. And you know why he contends with you? He contends with you because, much like Adam and Eve, you are now his replacement. The pinnacle of God's creation on the planet was Adam and Eve. He attacks. He goes after them. Much like you and I. He goes after us, right? 1 Peter chapter number 5. In verse number 5, he says, Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another, and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him for he careth for you. Be sober, be vigilant because your adversary the devil as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Whom resist steadfast in the faith knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. You realize it's, it's not surprising that it appears that both times he is talking about going ahead and being humble. James chapter 4 and 1 Peter chapter 5. Is it surprising to you that when he talks about resisting pride and resisting the devil and being humble, he brings up Satan? Why? Because when you don't resist him, you're going to be proud. We resist. What are we resisting against? The desire to be proud. This is a constant for all of us. I don't know that there is anybody that doesn't have any pride in them. I really don't. We, we gained it all the way from a garden. And we've all got this little level of pride that just kind of stays in there. And we have to be a constant watch. Be sober, be vigilant. Against what? I think a whole lot of it is against our own pride. we got to be vigilant against what? Letting ourselves well up in our pride. And I'm going I'm to try and convey that here in just a moment. But I, I mentioned that we're his replacement now. Ultimately, you and I, eternally, we are the replacement for that creature that was there. That anointed cherub that covereth. I'm going to give you a few verses. We won't go to all of them, but uh, of course. But uh, turn over to Revelation 21. We will go there. Because I think that's pretty fun. Uh, but 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse number 17. We talked about it last time. Ezekiel chapter 1 and Ezekiel chapter 10. The cherubs are referred to as living creatures. Now, you and I... 
2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17, God makes a very clear statement in that verse that gets changed in all the new versions. He changes one word in there in all those new versions, and it's amazing to me that they would change it. It says uh, that we became a new creature in Christ. The new ones go, no, you're a new creation. That doesn't have the same connotation. It ruins some references that you need. Say, why? Because you're about to replace the old creature. And that old creature is there. And the new creature in Christ, old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new and all things are of God and so on. Uh, there in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And we become this new creature to take the place of the old one. The old one's job, if you could remember the opposite side of the board, is pretty matching to what I did right here. You realize in Revelation, oh, we'll get that in a second. Uh, you realize that in Revelation chapter 21, verse number 1, we'll get this spot first. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. And he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. Jump down to verse number 9. And there came unto me one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials full of the seven last plagues, and talked with me, saying, Come hither, I will show thee the bride, the Lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God and her light was like unto a stone most precious, even like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. And you go on and you can see the gates and uh, all those things and the city lies four square and he lays it all out and he's doing the length and the breadth and all of the pieces, right? And you get down to number, oh, verse number uh, 18 and he says, And the building of the wall was of jasper and the city was pure gold like unto clear crystal. And the foundations of the wall of the city were garnished with all matter of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third a chalcedony, uh, the fourth an emerald, the, uh, the fifth sardonyx, the sixth sardius, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth a chrysoprasus, uh, the eleventh a jacinth, the twelfth an amethyst, and the twelve gates were twelve pearls. Every several gate was of one pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold." as it were, transparent glass. And I saw no temple therein, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God did lighten it. And the Lamb is the light thereof. And the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it. And the kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor into it. And the gates of it shall not be shut at all by day, for there shall be no night there. And they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it, and there shall in no wise enter it anything that defileth neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. Whew. That's just fun to read. Wait till you get there. Amen. You say, what is this place? Well, we're the church, right? We're the Lamb's wife. We are that new creature. You say, what are we doing? Well, you've got Christ in you, anointed. You got the Holy Spirit. You got filled with it when you got saved. You were sealed by that Holy Spirit of promise. You have all these verses. You know what you are? You're technically, you're an anointed person. God's got you anointed. He's prepared you. And set you apart and sanctified you. You're supposed to do the job. So well, what's the job? Well, now you've got the manifold wisdom of God. Ephesians chapter 3. In fact, hold your spot right here. Hold your spot. Ephesians chapter 3. I want you to see this. This is amazing. Brother Jeff and I were talking. If my brain could have wrapped around this to preach it, I'd have preached this this morning instead. But the Lord didn't. I'm too dumb and Brother Jeff's way too smart. That's what I got. 
Now, I won't read the whole chapter because you'd have to read the whole chapter to get everything, all right? But uh, Ephesians chapter 3, you start up at the top, right? And uh, Paul gets talking in verse number 2 about the dispensation of the grace of God which has given me. How that the gospel in verse number uh, 6, the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. Whereof I was made a minister, verse number 7, according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power. Unto me, who am less than the least of all saints, is this grace given. What's he doing? That I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ. So he's created all things. He's got this mystery that he's hiding. Look at verse number 10. To the intent. Well, what was his intent? That now unto principalities and powers in heavenly places. Who are they? Who are the principalities and powers in heavenly places? Isn't that the angels? The hierarchy of the angels above us? To the intent that those, those angels, might be, uh, might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God according to the eternal purpose which He purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. You realize you and I are the ending purpose of what God was intending. The relationship you and I have with God because of Jesus Christ and the debt that was paid in the gospel. You know what he's revealing to the angels because of the church? He's revealing that his intention was to have fellowship with you and I for all of eternity. Isn't that unbelievable? The intention of God was, I'm going to show the angels exactly what my plan was they've missed it the entire time and i'm going to show it by the church you know what you have you have the manifold wisdom of god you've got a bible you, we preach the wisdom of god to a world who thinks we're foolish well lucifer was full of wisdom you and i have the wisdom of god Wisdom is right there for our access. If any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God, which giveth all men liberally, and abradeth not. Then you turn around, and he was beautiful. Well, how beautiful are the feet of them that bring glad tidings. Well, isn't that the church's job, to let people know about Jesus Christ and what great things he hath done? Well, then you've got at least beautiful feet, if nothing else. He's beautifying. He bestows more honor on our uncomely parts, amen, in the body. Not only that, we got there over to Revelation chapter 21, and for all of eternity, you know, where you and I are going to be, we're going to be in a city that is made up, and it's called, the entirety of the city is called the Lamb's Wife. That's part of who we are. You say, what are we doing? Well, we're covered in precious stones just like that last creature was. We've got 12, he only had 9. And we've got these 12 stones and the foundations are there. And how many times did he say how the Lamb was the light thereof and God was the light and he was in it and he was dwelling among them and he's inside and that light comes out and it shines on the nations. It shines down to his creation. Wasn't that Lucifer's job? To shine God's light to his creation? The light bearer? You realize for all of eternity, you and I are going to be part of bearing God's light to an entire universe. And all the nations are going to know about how great He is by you being a part of that city. Whew. Streets of gold. That's easy enough. By the way, Roman, uh, Revelation chapter 5, uh, for those taking notes, verse 9 and 10, uh, they sung a new song. And they praised Him. Why? Because He hath redeemed us by His blood out of every kindred, nation, and so on. 
Say, so what are they doing? Oh, they're going to sing praises onto their God for all of eternity. You talk about a replacement. He goes, Lucifer, I don't need your wisdom. I don't need your beauty. I don't need your precious stones. I don't need your gold. You know what else I don't need? I don't need your pipes and your tablets. Guess what? I don't even need your ways. I got a better replacement. Say, so why does the devil hate me so much? That's why. Nobody likes to be replaced. <laughs> Certainly not the king over all the children of pride. Why would he want to be replaced? And we look around and you know what we go? He goes, you're going to let those lousy, puny humans? When Jesus Christ came into the world, Hebrews, he was made a little lower than the angels. Well, you and I are a little lower than the angels. And he makes us sons. And he adopts us in as if we're the family of God. And then he goes ahead and does that right there. He says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take you and I'm going to make you the replacement for the, most, the highest and most powerful created being I have ever made. I'll take you and I'll replace him. And you say, boy, you're really building this up. Yeah, you know what's amazing? When you think about that right there, you know what you are. You know exactly what you are. You know you're not that. You know you're not worthy to take that place. You know you're not worthy to step into that perfect, sinless, glorified, honorable place. You know what that'll do real quick? That'll humble you very quickly. It's like remembering the day you got saved and you finally called out Jesus Christ because you didn't have any way to get yourself out of it. The contrast is that oftentimes Lucifer took those things and he thought, how wonderful I am. We get in trouble when our answer is, how wonderful I am. Because I'm a Christian. When the reality is, in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. Now, Satan rivals and he comes in and he goes after us and we understand how that all goes together. And we understand that he's trying to get to us and he's trying to attack us and he's trying to deceive us. And he's trying to, and you say, what's he just trying to do? He's just trying to get you to be one of his servants again. Notice, you don't become, see, the lost world, year of your father the devil and the lust of your father, ye will do. But your king is a different situation. That's the real question. In eternity, you and I will be perfect in all of our ways. We won't miss. We'll have the mind of Christ. Lucifer was perfect in all his ways till iniquity was found in him. You and I don't have a till iniquity. <laughs> in eternity, we don't have that problem. God solves that problem. You and I do not fall like Lucifer fell. Our test was completed here. We don't get another test. It's all taken care of. So in eternity, we'll be perfect in all our ways. But now the question comes, in this life, who gets glory? Who gets honor? Who gets power? What was Lucifer's plan? Lucifer's plan is, I'm going to take all of that from God. Well, how does God receive any of that? He only receives it through His creation. And His creation either chooses to humble themselves and truly worship Him, or we choose not to humble ourselves and we automatically give glory and honor and power to that fallen cherub. Why is pride, why does that matter? It's just an internal thing and I get over these things quickly and 
Because it changes very quickly who you're worshiping and who you're following. There's a judgment that goes along. There's a sentence that goes along with our pride. We all know plenty of verses. Pride cometh before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. We know all those. I want you to see an example of it though. Turn over to Daniel chapter 4. Daniel chapter 4. You know, the situation is truly this, that you and I eternally are right here. This is who we are for all of eternity. The problem is that God right now is dwelling within us. Christ is in you. So he makes it possible for you and I to not be under our prior master of the devil. Right? And in doing so, he makes it so you and I have this choice of who gets the glory. And there's only two options. Because if you try to take the glory to you, it doesn't go to you anyways. It goes to, it goes to Satan either way. Until you choose that you're going to worship and trust God and humble yourself and do things His way, it won't go to Him. You only get the two options. And here in uh, Daniel chapter 4 and verse number uh, 30, I won't read the whole story. Many of you know Nebuchadnezzar is the king of Babylon and Daniel is there and he's been warned already. And 12 months after the warning, I believe it is, verse number 30, the king spake and said, Is not this great Babylon that I have built? For the house of the kingdom by the, might, by the might of my power and for the honor of my majesty. While the word was in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven saying, O king Nebuchadnezzar, to thee it is spoken, the kingdom is departed from thee, and they shall drive thee from men, and thy dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make thee to eat grass as oxen. And seven times shall pass over thee until thou know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men and giveth it to whomsoever he will. The same hour was the thing fulfilled upon Nebuchadnezzar and he was driven from men and did eat grass as oxen and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hairs were grown like, the, like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws." And at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up mine eyes unto heaven, and mine understanding returned unto me. And I blessed the Most High, and I praised and honored him that liveth forever, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation. And all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. And he doeth according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or, who, or say unto him, What doest thou? At the same time, my reason returned unto me, and for the glory of my kingdom, mine honor and brightness returned unto me, and my counselors and my lords sought unto me, and I was established in my kingdom, and an excellent majesty was added unto me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven, all whose works are truth and his ways judgment. Those that walk in pride, he is able to abase." It doesn't matter if you're the king of the greatest nation on the planet. When God decides it's time to be abased, you will be abased. When he wants you down, he will bring you down. And there is nobody that can tell him what doest thou. There is nobody who can stay his hand. There is nobody who can stop it from happening at all. Not even you in all of your greatness can stop the hand of a mighty God reaching down and just squashing you like a bug. Say, so where do you get that? All the inhabitants of the world are to him like grasshoppers. He wants to crush you like a bug, he will. And you know what you get to say about it? Nothing. And in your pride, you know what that'll happen if you want to stay in your pride. He's able to abase us in our pride. 
We get so arrogant and so thought of ourselves and how one and look at the majesty that I have and look at the wonders that I have. Look at what my hand has done and how wonderful I am. And the Lord just reaches down and he whispers, Yeah, but without me you can do nothing. Lucifer's ultimate end in Isaiah chapter 14 is being brought down, 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 and down. He's removed from his heavenly place. He'll be removed from the second heaven and cast to the earth. He'll be removed from his throne and put into a bottomless pit. When he is removed from that bottomless pit and loosed for a little season and contends with the almighty God of the universe, he will be put into a lake of fire for all of eternity where he will spend the rest of his days burning in torment because he rebelled against the holy God of the universe and had no way to win. That's what will happen. You want to go ahead and contend with God, you can. The problem with that is... Nobody who ever contends with God ever wins. It's a losing fight. And the true solution to the problem that you and I have is the solution that Nebuchadnezzar finally got in verses 34 and 35. It is the understanding that God gets to do whatever He wants. It's not necessarily a, I'm nobody and I can't influence God and I'm, you know, woe is me. That's not humility. Humility isn't the meanness of yourself and hating self. Humility ultimately is just no regard of self. Eve's actions in the garden, Adam's actions in the garden were all pride self-motivated. I was reading through Samora Moody's anecdotes and little short stories. Some years ago, I saw what is called a sensitive plant. I happened to breathe on it, and suddenly it drooped its head. I touched it, and it withered away. Humility is as sensitive as that. It cannot safely be brought out on exhibition a man who is flattering himself that he is humble and is walking close to the master is self-deceived. It consists not in thinking meanly of ourselves, but in not thinking of ourselves at all. Moses wist not that his face shone. If humility speaks of itself, it is gone. You know, Jesus Christ... Philippians chapter 2 becomes a man and it purposely says and he humbled himself and became obedient unto death even the death of the cross humility say what was the humility was it the, the humility of being stripped naked and stripped and uh, whipped and beaten and then nailed to a cross nope that wasn't the humility. It was the persecution and the distress and the things he had. Nope, wasn't the humility. So what was the humility? That he became obedient. Garden of Gethsemane. Not my will, but thine be done. My will doesn't matter. My thoughts on the subject don't matter. My wonderful idea might not be so wonderful. What do you have, Lord? Okay, we'll do it your way. And the problem we have is that most of the time we run on autopilot. I'm just being me. I'm be we run on autopilot. And we go, I know what God would want because, well, of course. And then Lord's like, whoa, 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 whoa. And we're like, don't worry, I got it, I got it, I got it. Like, the Lord's like, that's not what I was going to ask you to do. John the Baptist makes a great statement. He must increase. 
I must decrease. It's one of the greatest statements on humility that you'll ever find. You know, Jonathan, Saul's son, was a very humble man. I didn't know that. Bloodline, rightfully, the throne is his. You know what he says? If God chose you, David, I'm not interfering. The throne is yours and I will be your servant. That's humility. It is no care and no concern of self, but instead turns outward to find out the care and the concern of everyone else. Let each esteem other better than themselves. Pride is rooted in the idea of self. Pride is rooted in the idea that I need and I have to have, and if I don't get, I am not going to be happy, and I need to be happy. And the Lord says, why don't you make me happy? Because when you aren't making him happy, the only person you are making happy is his greatest enemy. This is something I think everybody struggles with. I think we struggle with it and we don't even notice it. We, we live in a day and in a, in, in a country where pride is so prevalent. I, I love America. I don't want anybody to think different. I love the United States of America. But... We get very difficult things when we start talking about pride in our country and pride in our military and pride in our strength and in our freedom and in our, because pride isn't the right word. But it starts lifting us up in our pride. And in doing so, you know what we do? We start putting things that are less important than God as important. I'm proud of my family, I'm proud of my job, I'm proud of my kids, I'm proud of... You keep sliding that stuff in, you know what you'll find? You'll find most times those will be the things that slide their way above God. And they get in there and all of a sudden they become a problem between you and Him. You can be pleased with those things, you can love those things, you can have a great affection and a great fondness for those things. But pride's not the right word. You know, Jesus Christ doesn't ever say that he's proud of you. I can't think of one verse where pride is anything good. But it's been rebranded for all of us to think that pride is a good thing. And the reality is, pride is never good. Pride only has one real consequence. One real end. And the end is destruction. Pride cometh before destruction. Pride is the ruin of every man. So I better talk about the solution a little bit more here. Even though it doesn't encourage us very much either. But look back at James. Say, so why doesn't it encourage us much to be uh, getting that solution for pride? Because pr it's humility. And you know what we don't like? We don't like to be humble. We like to be proud. And we look around and we go, man, I'm too proud. I got to put this thing down. All right, well, I got to be humble. I don't want to be humble. <laughs> I like it better when I'm proud because then I feel better about myself. See, there it is. Uh, this is. That is the contention, isn't it? That's the contention inside. It's warring in our members. We got this contention of, I would really like to be humble, but... <laughs> Notice these, these steps right here, and, and I hope this helps. James chapter 4 and verse number 6, we'll pick it up there, but I'll tell you what, you're going to need the first, ver first sentence in that verse 
to get any of this done right here. But he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. All right, well, how do I get that? Number one, verse seven. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. I already said it. This is a question of obedience. Salvation isn't in good works, right? We understand that salvation. Our good works don't do anything about our salvation. Uh, it's, not, it's not whether you went to church. It's not whether you were a good person. It's not whether you got baptized. It's not whether you did all these other things. It's not whether you're better than everybody else in the room. It makes None of that matters. So what did you have to do? You had to believe what God said and do it. Say, so what was that? Trust Jesus Christ. Pray and ask Him to save you. Say, what is that? That's humbling. You submitted to God. God, you're the one who decides who gets into heaven and who doesn't. And your answer was, Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And no man cometh unto the Father but by Him. So I'm going to trust Him so I can go the way I need to go so I can have eternal life. That's submission. Submitting to the one who's in authority. Say, when does, when does that stop being good? When you stop submitting, you're no longer submitted, you're no longer humble. It is recognizing that the power of God and the wisdom of God and the greatness of who God is trumps everything else that you think. It is the statement he makes in Colossians chapter 1 that in all things he might have the preeminence. Nothing else matters but him and what he said. That'll keep you humble. Pretty much if you get that, you're probably going to be humble, all right? But notice what else he says. He says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. You see where he is? You see what he's trying to do? You pay attention, right? The other passage there in Peter, be so vigilant because your adversary the devil is a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour, whom resist steadfast. You got to put up some resistance to what the devil is trying to do in your life. He's trying to distract you. He's trying to pull you away. He's trying to get you to go in your pride and ignore what God said, just like He did to Eve. He's trying to get you to ignore God and don't submit and don't do it His way. Instead, you know what you have to do? You've got to put up some resistance. Jesus Christ is tempted of the devil. He puts up resistance. The devil leaves. The devil wants easy prey. He doesn't want to fight that hard. You put up resistance and you resist the devil. You get, you get Scripture and you get more Scripture and you keep piling it up against Him. And you know what He does? He goes away for a little while. He doesn't stay away forever. He's going to try again. He's going to try again and again and again and again. He'll make around and He'll come back around and He'll see if He can get you to be just a little more proud. Come on. Come on, step over here in the pride again. You know you, can't have, you don't have to do it God's way every time. And move you over just a little. Just a little compromise. Moves us over. Say, so what do you do? Watch this. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Immediate, verse 8, draw nigh to God. That's in direct contrast to resisting the devil. Submission to God. Resist the devil. Run to God. And the promise is you draw nigh to God and He will draw nigh to you. What greater protection do you need? What greater comfort do you need? What greater grace and mercy do you need than what He can provide? And we get close to Him and He wraps His arms in and He goes, Don't worry, you're safe here. You resisted Him. You came to me. We've got this. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Say, what is that? That is you understanding that you still make mistakes, so stay humble. I'm going to say that again. You still make mistakes. I still make mistakes. So you know what? We run to God, and we get close to God, and we go, God, and He goes, don't worry, I got you, son. And we go, Lord, I'm sorry. I know I messed some things up back there, but thank you for protecting me. 
Lord, I don't know if I got everything right, but praise God, you got me a whole lot closer and a whole lot safer than I was. You know, he says in verse number 10, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he shall lift you up. Most people would love, go ahead and check out a, a reference sometime. I'm not going to do it tonight. I'm, I'm, I'm wanting to shut it down here. I'm running long. Uh, but he says, uh, check, out, check out the places where people were lifted up. Not very good. <laughs> Normally their heart is lifted up in pride. That's a problem. Then what do you do? You stay humble. And the Lord, good spot, the Lord lifts you up. You know, when is, we, we go ahead and we think about all these pieces and we think about what God's trying to do and we think about, well, how do I stay humble and how do I know if I'm humble or not? Don't worry about it. That's a weird way to say that. If you're thinking about whether you're humble or not, you've stopped being humble. All right? Here's a good check. You say, humble, if somebody else notices. And then when they let you know, that you're being humble? Pray that God gives you more grace. Because that's a wonderful opportunity to get lifted up in your own pride again. Go, yeah, I was doing really good. <laughs> oh, man, I lost it. You know? Humility is such a hard thing to keep in that respect. The idea that, you know, anything can happen and all of a sudden you go... Boy, I'm wonderful. <laughs> hey, I finally did it right. Oh. Right. What's the big concern? What's the what's the big deal? Where how do I deal with this? I think, and I hate answering that way, but I think truly you find here in James chapter four that it is all about whether or not you'll submit to God and He'll be your king or you go ahead and get back under submission to the king of all the children of pride. It gets right down just brass tat. That is it. It is who's the king. And when the devil is king, you'll be proud. And when you recognize that he's trying to reign over you again and he doesn't deserve that throne at all, by the way, you go, no, I'm going to my king. And I'm going to submit to him so that he can get glory and he can get honor and he can get power because the last thing that I want is for the devil to step up and go, I will ascend into heaven. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. And he used me as a stepping stone to try and get it. That thought right there may bother me more than anything. That I would take the glory that so richly deserves, that my God deserves, and hand it to another who I already know doesn't deserve any of it. And I think that bothers me more than any of it. That I could be used by the devil even though I am a child of the king to remove glory from one and hand it to someone who's so little in comparison to the greatness of my God. And so tonight I'm going to I don't even know how to land the plane right here. So we're going to do this abruptly. Let's go ahead and stand. And I'll just ask the very simple question. Who's your king and who do you want to serve? That's it. We default to pride way too often. And it's a shame 
that we give glory to another who is so unworthy of it. Father, I do pray you would bless the invitation now. I thank you. But you're a marvelous God. And you are so high above us and you know so much more than we do and you understand so much more than we ever possibly could. And Father, we fail you so often. In our arrogancy and in our pride, we rebel against God and we go our own way and we try to do things our way, but ultimately all we're doing is giving glory to another who is absolutely unworthy of the greatness that you possess. Father, I do pray that I said everything the way I should tonight. I hope you got all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.